Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. 2020 is an Olympic year. Every four years, athletes from all over the world gather together and we get the opportunity to watch an incredible celebration of some of the greatest athletes on the planet. In 2004, the Olympic Games were held in a historic location. In 2004, the Olympics were held in the city of Athens, Greece. Now, that's historic because that's where the Olympic Games came from. That's where they were born. So there was a lot of extra pageantry surrounding that celebration in 2004. And there's a story out of those Olympic Games from now, it's hard to believe, 16 years ago that, that I read in a Sports Illustrated magazine that forever impacted my life. And it was the story of an athlete representing the United States whose name was Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons was literally the best athlete in the world in his event. His event was the 50-meter, there's a picture of him, a 50-meter, three-position rifle event. Matt Emmons was a marksman, and he was the best in the world. He was so good that at the Olympic Games in Athens, Greece, when it came time for him to take his final shot, he was so far ahead of everybody else in the event that all he had to do to win the gold medal was just hit the target anywhere. Didn't have to be a bullseye, didn't have to be a high score, any score at all, and he was going to win. Rick Riley, a famous Sports Illustrated writer, wrote the article, and he said it this way. He said, it would be like telling Picasso, all you have to do is hit the canvas. So all Matt Emmons had to do to win the gold medal was just hit the target. So he, he takes aim, he fires the shot, and he steps back to look up at the scoreboard to begin the celebration of having won the gold medal at the historic Olympics in Athens, Greece. Matt Emmons looks up at the scoreboard, and it says zero. And he immediately assumes there must be some weird glitch. Something is wrong. So, so he asked the judge to pan the camera in. You can see his astonishment. He pans the camera in to the target of Matt Emmons, and literally there was no bullet hole. So they panned the camera to the left, and with his last shot, Matt Emmons had accidentally aimed at the wrong target. Not only did, not, did Matt Emmons not win the gold medal with that shot, he fell completely out of medal contention and did not place in the 2004 Olympic Games. Now, if you are a friend or a family member of Matt Emmons, I apologize for making you relive that tragic moment. Now, 
There is a good news for Matt Emmons. He went back, motivated by what happened in 2004. He went back in 2008, not only won the gold medal, but at the 2008 Olympic Games, met the woman who had become his wife. So God works all things out for our good. Amen. <clears throat> so it, don't, don't, don't leave here feeling sorry for Matt Emmons. He's okay. All right. But here's the moral of the story of Matt Emmons for you and me. We better be sure we're aiming at the right target. I want to, with that as a background, ask you two very important questions. Here's the first question. And this one's an easy question. I'm going to ask you to answer by show of hands. How many of you desire to faithfully follow Jesus? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up. Just hold it up for a second. That's what I thought. The vast majority of the people in the room, you can put them down. Now, I understand there's some people here today who you're not yet a follower of Christ. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. Maybe you're here because you drove by the building. Maybe you're here because you're walking through some stuff in your life, and you're just trying to figure out, does the church have what I need? But, but here's what we know. The vast majority, based on raising air, the vast majority of the people in the room today said, I desire to faithfully follow Jesus. So here's what you just did, whether you know it or not. You just said, here is the target of my life. The target of my life, what I am aiming, and we're not talking about an Olympic game. We're talking about life. With my life, here's what I'm aiming at. So that makes the next question very important. Now, with the next question, I'm not going to let you off the hook with raising your hand, all right? I'm going to make you answer. There are two ways you can do it. If you came in today, if you got one of our Hope Weeklies that you get every week when you come in, during this seven-week series, I would encourage you, if you don't normally grab this, to grab it, because on the inside, we got a listening guide where there are some blanks and some notes that you can fill in. If you didn't grab one of these, you can get it on the app. The Hope Church app has the exact same information there in the app. And it's got a place for you to answer this second question in just a moment. Now, the app and this is important because what we want you to do as we walk through this seven-week series, an important piece of the puzzle is to live this out in small group community. It's why for the last several weeks, we've been signing folks up to connect in small groups because we, we believe life change happens in community. And we want you to take this listening guide or take what you've saved from the app into your small group and use it to facilitate discussion around what we're talking about. So what I want you to do is either on this paper or on the app, I'm about to give you 15 seconds to try to answer the second question. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, you're not going to be able to finish your answer in 15 seconds. I just got a lot more to say to you. That's all the time I can give you. All right. I just want you to begin to think down the way that you would answer. So here's the second question, and I'm going to give you 15 seconds to answer it. What does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? Now, we just said, here's the target of my life, so it's very important that we're able to answer this second question. So I'm about to give you 15 seconds. You ready? Go. Start answering. Not out loud. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. Just a few more seconds. What does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus?
All right, time's up. I'm going to get a microphone. I'm going to start letting some of you give me. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. I heard somebody over here went, uh-oh. That's the sentiment of the room, right? I don't want to have to. I didn't know I was going to do that. I was just drawing a flower to make everybody think I was doing this, right? No, I'm not going to make you answer out loud. Uh, but I did want you to begin to formulate that answer because it's very important. If this is the target, if this is what we're aiming at, then we need to know what it looks like to hit the target. And unfortunately, in Christianity, in much of America today, we're really aiming at the wrong thing. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of people answer this question by what a person does. And so if you think that way, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? If you look down on your paper, there's probably a list of things you're supposed to do. To faithfully follow Jesus means you go to church every Sunday, you read your Bible, you pray, you give 10% of your income, gross not net, right? You go on mission trips, you share the gospel with your neighbor, you Try to be a good husband, father, wife, mother, brother, sister, employer, employee. Oh, oh, and then there's the whole list of things you're not supposed to do, right? Oh, yeah, to be a faithful follower of Jesus means you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And here's what I found growing up in Alabama, now living in Las Vegas, the stuff on the don't list changes. Because there's some stuff on the don't list in Alabama for Christians. It's not on the don't list for Christians in Las Vegas. It's a moving target. But a lot of people, the way they define faithfulness in following Jesus, am I doing all the right things and am I not doing all the wrong things? If you think about following Jesus this way, the operative word is performance. Christianity is a sum of my performance of living for Jesus. And if this is the way you express your Christianity, let me tell you the word you probably feel most often, disappointed. This is the way I lived for a long time. There's disappointment. There's frustration. You come to church and think everybody else has got it all together and wonder why you're the only one that's broken. Why everybody else seemed to keep all the do's and don'ts while you seem to struggle week in and week out. That's one way people answer this question. If you answered it that way, you're aiming at the wrong target. Christianity is not do's, don'ts, rights, wrongs, rules, and regulations. That's not what it is. There's a second way that we often answer this question, and it's not by what a person does, but by what a person knows. If you think about Christianity this way, then the operative word is not performance. The operative word is information. What does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus? To know as much about the Bible as you can possibly know. To have as many of the questions answered as you can get answered. To have all the right theology and all the right doctrine and all the right creeds. And if you come from a background like this, what it normally looks like to be discipled is to go through a series of classes where they give you doctrinal information. And when you can answer all the questions the way everybody else can answer all the questions, you are confirmed as a faithful follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that faithfully following Jesus has nothing to do with how we live. And I'm not saying that faithfully following Jesus has nothing to do with 
what we believe. I'm simply saying that both of those paradigms fall so short of the New Testament call to follow Jesus. And I'm afraid what's happened is we have so complicated what it means to follow Jesus in our day. And Paul warned us about this. Let me show you a verse of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Look what Paul says. Paul said, I am afraid that your minds will be led astray from the... Say this word out loud. And... You hear those two words? Say them again. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. Does that describe your experience of Christianity? Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul said, man, I'm so worried that you're going to get led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. We've made it all about do's, don'ts, rights, wrongs, rules, regulations, all about doctrines and creeds and theological uh, finer points. We've done that to the, to the point that we have so, I think, complicated and confused what it is to simply follow Jesus. And here's the problem. The natural tendency of our flesh drifts towards performance and information. Oh, look what I'm doing. Oh, look what I know. The natural tendency of our flesh drifts in those directions because it's comfortable. But it's not the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. When God birthed our church, when we began, He birthed our church to make disciples. The word disciple is a relational word. The word disciple in the New Testament speaks to a relationship that exists between the one being followed and the one doing the following. Everything else flows out of that relationship that exists between the discipler and the one being discipled. When God birthed our church, he birthed our church to make disciples. That's why we say at Hope, this is our mission as a church. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I want you to read it out loud with me. Here's our mission. Let's go. One, two, three. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. That's the only business we got. The only mission Jesus gave us as a church is to make disciples. The way we say that is to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. So when we started our church here at Hope, we started with a core conviction. It's actually the conviction that is the basic premise for the book that a lot of you have purchased here that I just wrote uh, and just got published here a couple of weeks ago. And I want to just say thank you to all of you that have been so kind and gracious with your comments about it. But here's the, here's the line out of the book that, that's so important. The Christian life is, say that word out loud, The Christian life is not me living for Jesus. Hang on a second. I know that sounds uh, like that can't be true, right? I mean, Jesus 
saved me. Now it's up to me to live for Jesus. That is not Christianity. Christianity, the Christian life, is not me living for Jesus, but Jesus living his life in and through me. That is not just semantics. That is the difference in religion and relationship. And what we've been invited into, been invited into, is an intimate love relationship with God, where Christ is in us and now living through us, and that is the freedom and the simplicity of following Jesus. Well, if that's true... Where do we learn what Jesus' life looked like? If the Christian life is Jesus living his life through me, where do we go? Well, where do we go in the Bibles? Anybody know? Where do we go? The Gospels, right? The Gospels teach us about the life of Jesus. Now, they teach us the obvious death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but there's so much more in the Gospels about the life of Jesus. So what our pastors did when we started Hope is we spent the first year together walking through the Gospels, examining the life of Christ. Why would we do that? Because we'd been called to make disciples. What's a disciple? Christ in them, living through them. So we need to know what it looked like to faithfully follow Jesus. So we spent a year in the Gospels and walked away with this conclusion. The life of Jesus is all about relationships. I'm going to say that again. It's very important. The life of Jesus is all about relationships. Let me prove it to you. I don't encourage you to do this, but you could go home with a pair of scissors and take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you could cut out every story in the Gospels. And did you know if you did that, you can drop every story in the Gospels into one of three boxes? Every story. First box, Jesus and his relationship with the Father. Think of all the stories in the Gospels that describe Jesus and his love relationship with the Father. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness alone with the Father. Before he chose his 12 disciples, he stayed up all night in prayer talking to the Father. Before he went to the cross, he took his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we have an entire chapter in the Bible that is all about Jesus and his intimate fellowship with the Father. How many times in the Gospels do you read Jesus going into the wilderness, going up into the mountain, going into the garden, getting up before daylight to simply be alone with the Father. Jesus even said in John 14, when you hear my words, he said, it's not my words, it's the Father's words in me. You say, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus God? Yes. He was 100% God in the flesh. But as a human being, Jesus, according to Philippians, chose to lay aside the privileges of being God and live in complete dependence on the Father. So that everything Jesus did, he did out of the overflow of intimacy with God. Here's what he did. He modeled for us. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is infinitely more than a model. But it doesn't change the fact that he modeled for us what it looks like to live as a human being in dependence on the Father relationally. But there's a second box. Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. You see, Jesus had a love relationship with the Father 
that spilled into a relationship of fellowship with his disciples. Again, think of all the stories in the Gospels that are about Jesus and his relationship with disciples. Whether it's calling those disciples, whether it's sitting on the beach roasting fish with those disciples, whether it's feeding the multitudes and putting the food in their hands and seeing the miracle happen as the disciples pick up the 12 basketfuls, or whether it's taking them into the garden to teach them how to pray or or, or sending them out to go share the good news. All the stories in the Gospels that describe Jesus' relationship with the Father spilling into fellowship with the disciples. Jesus lived his life in intimacy with the Father, but that spilled into a fellowship relationship with his disciples. But then there's a third box. And that's Jesus and his relationship to the world. And by the world, I mean people who did not know God at all. Again, Think of all the stories in the Gospels that would drop into this box. Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus at the woman caught in adultery, Jesus and the demon-possessed man, Jesus and the multitudes. All these stories that are Jesus and his relationship with people who didn't know God at all. Jesus' life was lived in intimacy with the Father, spilled into a relationship with his disciples, and then overflowed into relationships with people who didn't know God at all so that they could come to know him through Jesus. After a year of studying the Gospels, I challenge you to read through the Gospels and do this exercise for yourself. Every story in the Gospels is Jesus and his relationship with the Father, or Jesus and his relationship with the disciples, or Jesus and his relationship with the world, meaning the life of Jesus is all about relationships. Now, let's go back to the premise that I started with a moment ago. The Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through us. Jesus, get this, now lives in us. Did you hear that? By his spirit, the Jesus who we read about in the Gospels, the Jesus, the miracle worker, the Savior, by his spirit, Jesus now lives in us. And the Christian life is him living his life through us. That's why Major Ian Thomas said it this way. Look at this. He said, the Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then, lived now by him in you. You know what that is? That's simplicity. Here's what it means, and here's the foundation for this whole series we're going to be teaching over seven weekends. The life of a Jesus follower is all about, say it out loud. Here's what I'm telling you. This is the target. This is what we're aiming at. If I'm aiming at anything else, I'm aiming at the wrong Target, the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. Here's what that means. You and I should be able to lay this paradigm down on our lives and examine our love relationship with God, our fellowship with other believers, and our relationships with people who don't know God at all so that they can come to know him through our very lives. That's what it means to follow Jesus. The rest is just complication. The rest is just baggage of performance and information that we've added on to it. And Paul said, be careful. So here's my prayer. 
over these seven weeks. Some of you, I'm sharing this, and some of you hear this, and you're thinking, yeah, I know that, but man, it's good to be reminded because the natural tendency of our flesh is to drift towards the other. For some of you, this seven weeks is going to be an opportunity to recalibrate your heart, to get back to what it really means to follow Jesus. But for others of you, you know what's going to happen over these seven weeks? You're going to find out you got religion, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And listen, the enemy's cheap substitute for a relationship with Jesus is religion. Religion is not the answer. So what I want to do in the time I have left this morning is I want to give you three summary statements. Now, if you're a guest today, normally at Hope Church, we take a text of Scripture, and we dig in a text of Scripture, and we stay in it. And we're going to do that over the next several weeks a few times. But, but this morning, we're kind of giving a broad overview of some principles in the New Testament that is not the normal way we teach, but it's the foundation that we need to, to move through this. So I want to give you three statements that describe these relationships in our lives to kind of set the foundation. And over the next six weekends, we're going to unpack them in great detail. Here's the first one. Say it out loud with me. Not that one, this one. Yeah, say it out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Following Jesus is about a relationship with God. That's where it starts. (laughs) The starting point of following Jesus is a relationship with God. Now listen, let me say this. If you miss this, you miss everything. The rest is built on this. Following Jesus is about a relationship with God. Let me prove it to you. Let me show it to you in the Bible. John chapter 17, verse 3. Now, if you know the context, John 17 is that prayer. Jesus is talking to the Father before He goes to the cross. Listen to what Jesus said. I tell you what, read it out loud. I want you to hear yourself read it. Let's read it. You ready? One, two, three. This is eternal life. Now stop right there. Stop right there. Now, that ought to make us lean in, right? Because I don't know about you, when I came to Jesus, eternal life was a big deal to me. Amen? I mean, that's a big part of the package, right? Uh, That's why he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life, right? That's that's what brought me into this. I want that. Now, here's what's happening. Jesus is about to define it from his own lips. Listen to what he said. Let's do it again. This is eternal life, that you go to heaven when you die. Wait a minute. I I thought eternal life meant you go to heaven when you die. Well, where'd y'all get off track? Isn't that what it says? No, that's not what it says, is it? Look what it says. This is eternal life that, read it, that they may. How about that? He doesn't define eternal life as a destination but a relationship. Listen, does that mean I'm not going to go to heaven when I die? No, that's a sweet part of the deal, right? But here's what makes it so sweet. Here's why heaven is so awesome. Because the relationship that I now only enjoy by faith when I get to heaven is no longer by faith. It's by sight. The one who I love, the one who I adore, when I get to heaven is the one I will see with my eyes. But what makes heaven heaven is it's taking the relationship to the next level. 
Eternal life is not a destination. Eternal life is knowing God. This word know in the Greek language is a word that implies personal fellowship. He says, this is eternal life, that you can know God, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is about a relationship with God. That's why Henry Blackaby said it this way. Blackaby said, a love relationship with God is more important than any other single factor in your life. Let me say another statement that may shock you. Christianity is not a religion. Y'all right? You got awfully quiet on me there. Christianity is not a religion. Now, there's a form of Christianity that is nothing more than a religion. But Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Very different. Let me show you what I mean by that. Listen, you take any religion, call it whatever you want to call it. Call it Islam. Call it Buddhism. Call it Mormonism. Call it Christianity. I don't care. Any religion. Here's what religion says. Religion says there is a God, and that God is holy, and you are not holy. And religion says you got to try to do your best to work your way back into a right fellowship with God. Now, all the religions package it different. In Islam, they call it the pillars of Islam. In Christianity, they call it go to church, read your Bible, and be a good neighbor, right? We, we package it differently, but there's a system or a set of rituals. And if you'll just do these things, hopefully religion says you do that, and you do the best you can, and you hold your breath that somehow God is going to accept you for your effort. Christianity of the Bible says the exact opposite. Christianity of the Bible starts by popping us in the face and saying, hey, guess what? God is so holy, there's nothing you can do. If I started today from this moment forward to try to be the best person I could be, to try to be the most moral person, to try to read through the Bible every month, if I tried to be as good as I could possibly be, it would not undo the fact that I've already sinned against a holy God, and because he's holy and because I'm sinful, there's nothing I can do to work my way back into fellowship with God. I am separated from him, and there's nothing I can do to change that. But the good news of Christianity is God. God did for us what we could not do on our own. God sent his son Jesus into the world. And on the cross, Jesus took all of your sin, and he took all of my sin, and he died paying the penalty for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again as a testimony. God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins, and now you and I, because of grace, can put our faith in Jesus, and we get to be born again into what? A relationship with God. What I could not earn on my own, I've been given in Christ. Religion is the enemy's cheap counterfeit. It's the counterfeit for a relationship with God. Let me, let me try to help you see it this way. What is marriage? Is marriage buying a house with somebody? Is marriage Sharing meals with somebody else? Is marriage having children? 
Is marriage opening a joint checking account? Is marriage planning your vacations? Is marriage preparing for retirement with somebody else? No, right? None of those are marriage. What is marriage? A love relationship between a man and a woman. A love relationship between a husband and a wife. Now get this. None of the activities even make sense without the relationship. Think about it. You're not going to go to Walmart this afternoon, walk up to a total stranger and say, hey, would you like to open a joint checking account with me? As hungry as you're going to be, you're not going to leave Hope Church, pull up into a stranger's driveway, walk in, grab a fork, say, what's for lunch? Why? Because without the relationship, the activities don't even make sense. You know what that is? That's a whole lot of people that go to church every Sunday. Makes no sense. I'm here. I don't really know why I come listen to this guy, but I'm here. Lord, I guess it's going to earn me some favor with you. Christianity is not do's, don'ts, rights, wrongs, rules. What is Christianity? A love relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus. And listen, all the other stuff doesn't even make sense. It's why so many people today in America go, I don't even know, church, who cares? I don't, it has nothing. Because they've missed the essence. The essence is a love relationship with Christ. I don't have to read my Bible today to be a good Christian. Well, if you want God to be happy with you, some of you are here this morning and you're here out of a sense of guilt because this week you didn't perform the way you thought you should. And so you're here today trying to take a step back towards God looking at you in a favorable way. (laughs) The only thing favorable in us is Christ, period. I don't have to read my Bible today to be a good Christian. Oh, does that mean I don't read my Bible? No. Here's the difference. I'm invited into an intimate relationship with the one who wrote this love letter to me. And daily, when I wake up in the morning, I have the privilege of getting to sit at his feet and cultivate intimate fellowship with him through his word. It's not what I have to do to be a good Christian. It's what I'm invited into because I have a relationship with God. And every morning, he wants to speak into my life. With each of these, I want to give you a key word, and the key word for this one is the word abide. Abide. I'm to abide in Christ personally and daily. What we have so complicated, Jesus simplified with one sentence in an orchard. Let me show it to you in John 15, verse 5. Look what it says. I am the what? Who's I? When you're not sure in church, always answer Jesus. That's a good good answer. (laughs) Who is I? I is who? Jesus is talking here to his disciples. So the I is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the what? Who's the vine? Jesus is the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. You are the... You are you and me, right? Who's the vine? Who's the branches? We are, right? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who, say it out loud, abides in me, and I in him. He bears.
bears much fruit. Here's the problem. We've read that and we think somehow Jesus is saying it's our responsibility to bear fruit. Fruit is not what we do. Fruit is the overflow of who we are in Christ. As Christ. Who's the vine? What is fruit? Fruit, if you think about it agriculturally, is simply the life of whatever's in the vine being pressed out through the branches. Think about it. You got an apple tree, what's coming out of the branch? You got a cherry tree, what's coming out? You got a grapevine, what's coming out? Why? Because fruit is whatever's in the life of the vine coming out in the branches. Let me ask you a question. You ever seen a branch working hard to bear fruit? No, you know why? Branches can't bear fruit. If you don't believe me, break it off, take it home, see what you get. The only value the branch has is as it hangs on to the vine for all it's worth. And the life of the vine then begins to be pressed out through the branches. That is fruit. That's why he says, apart from me, you can do what? Here's what that means. There is nothing of value in my life but Christ in me. Nothing. It all starts in an intimate love relationship with the Father. But then there's a second statement. Following Jesus is about a relationship with one another. I'm just going to mention these last couple quickly. But a lot of Christians understand, yeah, following Jesus is about a relationship with God. But here's where we get off track. It's just me and God. And I get to choose whether or not I want to do anything with you guys. And here's what's bad. We've even made that sound pseudo-spiritual. I'm so spiritual. I don't need the church. Just me and God. The life of Jesus was intimate with the Father, but it spilled into fellowship with disciples. In the book of Genesis, when God created the world, he said over and over again, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Light, good. Sky, good. Birds, good. Plants, good. Trees, good. The stars, the planets, good. Then he made human beings. Listen, and this is an important note. We're not human doings. Let that sink in for a minute. We're human beings. What we do flows out of who we are. What we've created is a system where what we do defines who we are. We're human beings. But listen to what it said in Genesis chapter 2. Look at it. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living, say it, being. Then the Lord God said, It is what? It's not good. Uh-oh. That's different. What's not good? It's not good for man to be what? Here's the point. God created you and I to live out our relationship with him in fellowship with other people. It was never God's design for us to live out our relationship with him in isolation from other people. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity without community. Our relationship with the Father spills into our fellowship relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what that means. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with you. And you have a relationship with me, whether you want it or not. And here's the beauty of that. It's our relationship with each other that God uses to deepen and grow our fellowship relationship with Him. You see, there are things about God I'm never going to learn apart from fellowship with you, and there are things about God you're never going to learn apart from fellowship with the body of Christ. 
Here's the key word for this relationship. It's the word connect. Connect. We're to connect in community in both large group and small group. And we'll talk about this in detail in a few weeks. But you see the early church model this and begin to live out this principle of, 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 of community together, doing life together. The church is so important because it's the platform designed by God to live out my relationship with Him and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, church is not what you have to do to be a good Christian. The church is where I belong to deepen my relationship with God and to grow in intimacy with Him through fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Connect. Third statement, we're done. Following Jesus is about a relationship with the what? World. Now, again, this is where we get off track. Most Christians would agree, relationship with God, relationship with each other. But then we get to this box. This is the box we typically call missions and evangelism. And this box is reserved for the special forces in the church. The rest of us stay over here in our huddle and we pray for those people. We give our money so that those people can carry out the mission. But this is reserved for those who've gone down the dark hallway at the church and received the special ops training and have the secret language, right? No, no, no. Here's what we learn. Here's what we're learning. This is just Jesus. To the degree that I'm allowing Christ to live his life through me, guess what it looks like? This. Meaning that me engaging in the mission is not about mission or evangelism. It's about Christ-likeness. Because it's just who he is. That's why Jesus went on to say in John 17, listen what he said. He said to the Father in that prayer, as you sent me into the world... You sent me into the world, Father, to live in intimacy with you that spilled into fellowship with believers that that overflowed into relationships with people that didn't know God. As you sent me into the world, look what it says, I also have sent, let me let you in on a secret, you are them. Where'd we say Christ now lives? He lives where? In us. How is Christ going to reach the world? Through us. Here's the key word. Share. Share. We are to share in God's mission locally and globally. And we're going to talk about that in great detail the last two weeks of this series. But what this means, church, is mission is not what we do Mission is who we are. 
to the degree that I'm allowing Christ to live in and through me, here's what that means. I should be able to look at people who are now on their way towards Jesus or have come to know Jesus through my relationship with them. I'm the leverage, my job, my skill, and my passion, everything to live on mission where I live, where I work, where I play to see others come to know Christ. Here's what that means. Here's why it's exciting. Every moment is a moment to be on mission with God. And here's the beauty of this. One day, one day he's coming again. You didn't hear what I just said because you just said something. Listen, one day Jesus is coming again. Hey, it could be today. If he does, we'll just finish this series up there. Is that all right with you? Listen, one day he's coming again. And when he comes again, the scripture says there's going to be men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. God is on a mission right now redeeming to himself a people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. It's one of my favorite things about our church. We're getting a head start on that because when you look around you, we look like what heaven's going to look like. We have 54 languages represented in our fellowship. But here's the point. You and I are to live every day in light of that day when he comes again and around his throne every tribe, tongue, people and nation have come to know him. We're to share in the mission. Following Jesus all about relationships and get this, the relationships are interdependent. Let me show it to you in one verse and I'm done. John 13 Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. What's the foundation for our loving one another? His love for us, our abiding relationship in him. He said, as I've loved you, you love one another. We begin to connect with others out of the overflow of our abiding relationship with him. But then look what it said. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see it all interdependent here? How's the world see Christ in us as they see us loving one another? What's the foundation of our loving one another as we abide in Christ and and, and deepen our intimate fellowship with him? Abiding, connecting, sharing, that's the target of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to be unpacking over the next six weeks together. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take your word God, that you would make it come alive in our hearts today. Lord, maybe for some, in a way they've never seen it before. As we sit quietly before the Lord in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. It's not a time to slip out early to beat the traffic. It's an opportunity to respond to what you've heard today. And they're really three ways today that we can respond. Number one, if you're here today and you've realized that all you got is religion, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're trying to perform for God. You're trying to earn your way. And listen, we want to invite you today to receive salvation, to receive God's gift. In just a moment, when we stand and sing, we're going to have pastors up here along the front with me. They're coming now to get in place. And you can go to any one of these pastors today and simply say, I need Jesus. That's all you got to say. And we'll have somebody sit down with the Bible and show you how you can begin a love relationship. You can know when you leave here today that you are forgiven, that you are loved by God, that you're his child, and that you'll spend eternity in heaven. That's all available to you in Christ. We invite you to just come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. But there's a second way to respond today. Maybe you're here and you already know Jesus. 
But you realize even today you've begun to drift like Paul warned us about. And you just need to make a fresh surrender in your own heart. You can do that multiple ways. You can do that right there in your seat. You can turn your seat into an altar and just be alone with God. We're going to open these steps up here at the front like an old-fashioned altar. You can come and just make a fresh surrender. You can repent of religion and make a fresh surrender to pursue intimacy with Christ, fellowship with one another, and engagement with people that don't know God at all so they can come to know Him through you. Or maybe this morning you just need to pray with the pastors. We started earlier about needs. Something in your job, your health, your family, your marriage, your relationship. And you just want to pray with the pastor. We're here. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you. And then finally today as we bring this to a close before we sing. Over the next seven weeks we're going to be unpacking these truths in great detail. And I'm asking you today to join us on this journey in three ways. Number one, make these seven weeks a priority. Let's be here together. I know that things happen, stuff happens. That's okay. We're gonna, you're not going to hit them all, but make it a priority as your schedule allows you to be here every weekend as we unpack this. Secondly, if you're not currently in a small group, we believe life change happens in community. There's opportunities for you today when you leave to get connected in a small group so we can walk these truths out together. Don't miss this. It's an important part of the journey. And then finally, we've written a devotional guide. It's 42 days. It'll be all seven weeks of this series. It starts in the morning. You can pick one of those up as you leave if you want to. But join us as we spend time with God. We live it out in groups. We come together. We allow God to shape us and use us. Lord, have your way this morning. God, I pray for those that are here this morning that have religion but not a relationship. I pray today for them to be saved. God, would you give them the boldness to step out from where they're going to be standing and come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. Lord, I pray for Christians that have gotten seduced back into performance or information. I pray today, God, that they would make a fresh surrender to the freedom and the simplicity and the purity of just devotion to Jesus. Lord, I pray the weight, the baggage would be dropped and fall off. God, have your way this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.